It was about um, it was about a year ago now that I got to go um, on a trip to Africa, and it was a blessing in a lot of different ways to me. It opened my eyes to a lot of different things, and I was really grateful uh, to get to go. Um, but uh, one of the first places we we actually flew into Nairobi, Kenya, and um, uh, Got to spend a little time there um, and went to um, one of the one of the kind of sub areas of Nairobi called uh, Kawangari, um, and and meet some incredible people and see um, some heartbreaking poverty um, that was inside of that and it, it forever changed what I thought about what it meant to to be in poverty or to be poor. I I I would I will never see things the same way. Um, we actually have a, a guest with us tonight. Owen, come on up. Owen, Owen uh, grew up 15 miles from where I got to go. He was he he grew up right there in the midst of it. And Owen is going to come and he's going to share about his story with us this morning, and we're going to be blessed by it. Thank you, Owen. All right, awesome, awesome. Thanks, John. Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord, church. No, 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 no. You got to do it. Ah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's Swahili. So I, I had a dream just like every other kid, you know, but my dream was a little bit weird because, you know, kids want to become lawyers and doctors and pilots and uh, superheroes. But for some reason, I always wanted to become an accountant. I know. And that didn't stop. It never changed. Always wanted to become an accountant. But then I found out soon enough that that would never happen. Not from the family that I was born in. I was born in a family of three boys and my mom, uh, who was a sole breadwinner, and she would make about five to ten dollars a month. It's a stretch when I say five to ten dollars a month because a lot of times there was zero. And so I woke up in the morning and I had no idea when the next plate of food would come from. And sometimes it went for a couple of days without having food to eat. And a uh, couple of days without food, you become desperate. You would do anything just to get food in your stomach. And that's really what pushed me to going and knocking on people's doors, uh, asking for food, because I needed the food. But I knocked on these people's doors so many times and I mean, I could tell they were so tired that every time they opened the door, God, this kid again, looking for food. And a lot of times they shut the door in my face, sent me away. And the few times they let me in, they, they made the point to, you know, humiliate me and my mom just because she wouldn't be able to provide us with food. But I couldn't go away. I needed the food. Otherwise, I was going to starve. And, uh, you know, we never had... We never had taps or faucets that you would turn on and water would come out of and you would choose either cold or hot water. Uh, the source of water that we had originated in a slaughterhouse and it went into the river. That's the same water that we would drink out of and cook with. And I think one of the worst things about growing up in poverty was every time I got sick, my mom told us that, that just hope that you're gonna be fine because I do not have the money to take you to hospital. And, she, and, and during those days, if you showed up in a hospital and you did not have the money, they would not take you in. And she told me, uh, shared with me the story. I was about one year old when there was 
one of the biggest measles outbreak in Kenya and that took lives of thousands of kids. I happened to be one of those kids who had measles. And, you know, just like always, she held me and was hoping that I was going to pull through the night. But she told me that every minute that passed by that night, I grew weaker and weaker and weaker. And she didn't think I would, I would last to the end of the night. But by the grace of God, I did. Just like so many other times in my life. And I mean, poverty is bad. I would never wish poverty on anybody. But the absolute worst thing about poverty is the hopelessness that comes from poverty. Is, is when people looked at me straight in the eyes and they told me that I am worthless. When they told me I would never amount to anything. And they went on to bring my heritage, my whole lineage, my family, and they told me nothing good has ever come out of your family's life and nothing good will come out of your life. And then people like to ask this question to kids. What do you want to be when you grow up? They ask me. And with a smile on my face, I told them I want to become an accountant. But it's what they told me that wiped the smile off my face. Because they told me not to waste my time dreaming. Because none of my dreams will ever come true. Man, that was the little hope that I had. It was shattered. And so I, I knew for me, I, I couldn't dream because it was a waste of time. And hearing this so many times kind of brought affirmation to me. And so I thought my story was written like this, that I was born poor, I was going to live poor, and I was going to die poor. And nobody was going to know about it. But it wasn't until I was about eight years old and my mom heard about compassion and that they were taking kids in. So we ended up in this church. And that's the way compassion works is there has to be a local church for there to be a compassion program. And I think this is one of the most underrated things about compassion. But church meant something totally different to me. Church was a place that I went to and I felt safe. Church was a place that I went to and I was loved on. And, and, and you know, and, and, and I, I could tell from the onset that there was something very different about these people that was very different from the people out there. You know, every person who is hired by compassion, they have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But that time I did not know. But I could tell there was something definitely weird about these people because they, they were very loving and warm towards me. And I wasn't used to that. I couldn't pinpoint then what it was, but I could tell there was something off about these people. And then they, so Compassion has to do an audit before they actually decide to take this, the child in and be sponsored because they want to make sure that that child actually is deserving of the help. And with my resume, it didn't take very much convincing that we were poor. So I was sponsored through Compassion and we were supposed to take pictures so that they could print packets like this. And, and on that day, uh, it was one of, I, I believe it was the first time I had ever taken a picture. And a friend of ours played a trick on us because he told us that the camera flash is really painful. <laughs> and so my first picture as a compassion-sponsored child, I was terrified. Because I, kept, I was clenching my fists, waiting for the pain to come. And they took the picture. And I was waiting for the pain. <laughs> and I thought maybe it's delayed. 
and the pain never came. And he, he, he had a good laugh about that. <laughs> and so they printed my packet, and they sent out to a compassion event, and, and someone saw a picture of me, probably terrified, and said, I'm going to sponsor this kid. And, and he wrote me my first letter. And, and he said three words that no one had ever said to me before. He said the words, I love you. The first time anyone had ever said those words, I read it in a letter. That just that almost blew my mind. Because I grew up with people who shut the door in my face. And I thought for a long time, maybe something wrong with me. That maybe I'm not lovable. And then this guy, all the way from Wisconsin, reached out to this kid in Nairobi. I mean, what are the odds? And told me for the first time, I love you. That just almost blew my mind. Then he went on to talk about Jesus. And I figured out soon enough, the reason why these people were a little bit off was because they were Jesus people. There's compassion people, because from the first time I stepped foot into that church, these people would not shut up talking about Jesus. I'm not kidding. I mean, we sang all these happy songs and memorized all these scriptures and talked about this God who, who had a hope and a future for me. About this God whom nothing was impossible to. About this God who had a purpose for my life. This was very new and very strange, and I kind of grew tired of it because I would hear all these beautiful things, and I would go back home to the same people who looked at me straight in the eyes, and they told me that I was worthless. I got tired, and so I thought, maybe I'm going to go to the church, and I'm going to accept their Jesus, hoping maybe they'll tone it down because, hey, I already got your Jesus now. You don't have to keep telling me about Jesus. And so I went to the church, and I said, I've come to accept your Jesus. And I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And no, I did not shut them up. <laughs> but I made the best decision in my life. I got the best gift that, ever, that compassion ever gave to me, the gift of Jesus Christ. Because, you know, I, I remember going home that night and I'm like, there was something different about me. And again, I couldn't, I mean, I... I and, and I thought to myself, I do not have anything to lose. Why don't I try this Jesus? Let me prove them wrong. That You know, why don't I try this Jesus and see if what they say about this Jesus is really true. And so I got this Jesus and I started to learn, you know, I, I, I immersed myself in the word. And I started to learn about this God. And something started to happen. That I was blind, but all of a sudden the scales started to fall from my eyes. I started to know the truth, and slowly but surely the truth started to set me free. And if you do not get anything from what I say today, is that poverty left my life the day Christ came into my life. I'm going to say that again. Poverty left my life the day Christ came into my life. That if compassion had just given me Jesus and told me to go my way, I would have been just fine. Because something changed in me. And all of a sudden, the words that the people would tell me started to make no sense. Because they would go in one ear and get out the other ear. Because I knew 
That the story that the people had written about my life was not the story that my God had written about me. Poverty left my life the day Christ came into my life. You know, a lot of people have a big misconception of what poverty is. Poverty is very little about the lack of food and the lack of clothes. But it's so much about mental. It's, it's so much mental and spiritual than it is physical. No amount of money can wipe poverty out of someone's life. They'll just change the outside. That's what money does. But it takes something so big, so mighty, to be able to break the so many chains that have been built in my life, you know, and in someone who is suffering from poverty. And Jesus came in and he was, he, he started to break every chain, every barrier, every word that anyone had ever said to me before. Compassion didn't stop there, you know. I was guaranteed a plate of food on the table. That was a miracle. Clean water. Every time I got sick, compassion took me to hospital. They took care of me. And then they took me to school. I was the first person in my whole family to go past high school. And I went on to graduate uh, college. And I got my, my undergraduate degree in guess what? Accounting. Accounting. <laughs> and then I got a scholarship to go to North Dakota State and do my master's. And I did my master's in guess what? Accounting. And then I sat for my CPA license and I'm a CPA in America. And I'm an accountant! <laughs> I, I like to take this moment because it's, 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 it's a moment for us accountants to shine. I'm an accountant! <laughs> the one thing they told me I would never become is the one thing that I am today. And I'm standing here, I mean, thinking about this journey that started 20-some years ago when I was eight years old. And I'm holding Jimmy in my hands. My, my story started off as a picture on a packet, on a table. And someone seeing my face and saying, I'm going to sponsor this kid. And 20-some years later, look what the Lord can do. Me and my wife, we got uh, married about eight years ago. That was beautiful. My, the hottest woman in the whole white world. That was beautiful. But I also had something special happen on our biggest day. And the next picture is, is a picture of me and uh, this guy. He was my superhero growing up. Literally, he was my best friend. So this guy saw my picture on a packet. And, and saw this kid whose name was Owen. And his name happened to be Owen. He decided to sponsor me through compassion. And on our biggest day, he was the best man in our wedding. And, I mean, that's the story of compassion. It's reaching out to these kids whom the world has written off. And telling them they do matter. But the most important thing is giving them Jesus. Because, you know, for the longest time in my life, uh, I had nothing to give. And there's one thing about poor people is they, they love to give. The, Unfortunately, a lot of times they don't have very much to give, but they can give you the shirt off their back. And when compassion gave me Jesus, for the first time in my life, I had something to give. 
And, and I remember I went home and I sat down with my big brother. And I, I told him, I went to this church and, and I found this Jesus. And I think I found what we've been looking for. I found our way out of it. And I told him, brother, would you walk with me as I follow Christ? And he said, yeah, and I led him to Christ. And that was one of the best moments for me growing up as a kid. It's so beautiful when you give someone who's, who loves to give something to give. Because everywhere I went and everywhere I go, I give people my Jesus. Because my Jesus is faithful. And, you know, me and my wife, we sponsor three kids through compassion. And, man, I, I it's... Uh, so the next picture there is a picture of me and Joseph. Uh, jo Joseph is one of our sponsored kids. And, man, it is totally different because I've been in two different worlds. I've been a sponsored child, and I've also been a sponsor. And I can tell you it is way more blessed to be a sponsor than to be a sponsored child. It's the best $38 a month that we spent every month because I know what it means. I know it's the difference between life and death. It's, it's me Stepping in the gap and encouraging another child and telling them that, you know, that God has a purpose for their life. And telling them not to believe what the world is telling them about them. And, you know, 20-some years ago, I was, you wouldn't have wanted me to hold this mic and stand in front of you. Because I didn't look like I look today. I was hopeless. I was dirty. Probably didn't smell as good as I do today. But someone stepped in the gap and sponsored me. And it, my story changed from just a pat, packet on a child on a packet to a life that has been transformed. And I am here today released from poverty in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Let's, um, let's take a second and pray, and I'm going to go ahead and pray now that God will start working in your heart. Unapologetically, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to take some Compassion National kids with you. Um, a couple of years ago when we had a Compassion Sunday, uh, we kind of broke the bank on them. They had to go gather, they had to go dig through their seat covers in their van to find more Compassion kids for us to adopt because we, we sponsored all they had brought with them, really. And so um, I would love to see that happen again today. And uh, so just to let you know, that's coming. So we pray in Father, um, thank you for the testimony of Owen to your goodness and your faithfulness and to your power to rescue us from any form of poverty. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for, uh, I'll call him Owen Sr., um, who stepped into Owen's life without even knowing him and but knew that he was treasure to you and so he's treasure to him. And I pray that we will take this treasure and invest it in eternity with these kids. And uh, Father, I pray you continue to bless Owen and his ministry to travel and talk about compassion. And uh, I thank you for this ministry and uh, ask that you would guide us today in our conversation as we just start to look at a young man who is taken from one version of poverty to another. Um, and I pray our hearts will be knitted to his in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> so as we are jumping in here to the book of Daniel and, uh, um, 
which is really exciting, and we will, we will go through Daniel similarly to the way we went through John, kind of line by line and section by section and et cetera. And so, um, but we're not going to start that today. What I want to start with today is I, I want to start the process of tying us to Daniel, of knitting our hearts to the, the heart of this young man, Daniel. Um, there is a fascinating connection, and as we were looking ahead and com- combining this introduction of Daniel to the Compassion Sunday, and then hearing Owen's, uh, the account of Owen's life this week on the phone, <coughs> and getting to hear his, his story was really um, struck by this connection point. We're really here to start an adventure of discovery of a young man and his friends and his dreams, or at least and dreams, and the reach of his God, the ability of his God to reach into um, whatever scenario is needed, whatever scenario he decides to reach into. Um, we're really going to, as we talk about the fact that you're going to have, we're going to tell, we're going to engage with a young man and his, and his friends who are taken from one situation to another situation, whose dreams are radically altered. His vision of his own future is radically altered. Daniel's, Daniel's hopes and dreams for his life are going to come in a direct uh, impact with the gospel as it existed at that time with the truth of who God is. And so a lot of times that's going to mean a big change um, for us. Sometimes the dreams that we have in the future we have for our life that seem impossible, like, um, like Owen's, that God takes those and, and, and makes those reality. Sometimes when we run into God, our hopes and dreams are submitted to him and they go away forever. We're, we're going to start with a story of a young man who probably was a prince. He may have literally been the prince of Israel. Some people think he was. That this was the next in line to be the king of Israel. That Daniel's story should have been connected to the kings, not the prophets. And yet, because of generation upon generation of disobedience of God's people, Daniel becomes a prophet rather than a king. Um, and we're going we're gonna to engage in that. We're going to start the adventure. And I want us to connect to this, who this young man is and what was changing in his life and how suddenly it was happening. 600 years before the birth of Christ, a handful of boys who were members of the royal families of Israel were taken in captivity to Babylon. This was the first step in the fulfillment of God's judgment on his people. God was bringing judgment on his people for their direct, flagrant disobedience of him. And this is how it's going to begin. And Daniel's going to be caught up right in the middle of it. You may not have ever noticed, when you read through the book of Daniel, you may do like a lot of people do, and you run straight to the lion's den. Or or you hurry on over to the three Hebrew children going toe-to-toe with probably the most powerful man who ever lived in his own time um, about a statue. Maybe you even go to things like Daniel um, interpreting dreams. So we skim over sometimes what we're going to dig into, start digging into next week, which is this, Daniel 1, 1 through 4. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar in the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, 
to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding learning, and competent to stand before the king, stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Now, you, you may have read through that and said, yeah, I, didn't, I don't understand any of that. Like, none of that made any sense. Who are these people? What are these places? And we're going to talk about that. What I want you to focus on just today, just this part today, is that these young men had dreams and goals and hope for their futures. It is likely that one or more of them were directly in line for the kingdom. And in a moment, their dreams are smashed. They were royalty. Now they're property. Everything has changed about their identity. And what's even more stunning is that it's not their fault. They were children. Um, I'm of the impression, I'm of the opinion, there are people who think that Daniel and his friends may have been as old as 16 or 17. Um, I think it's probably more like 11 or 12. So these were young people. These were boys taken away from family, from their moms, their dads, their hometown, their community, everything they know, and everything's going to be changed for them. Now their setting is instead going from Israel to Babylon, just like our story does. And they face the vast power of the Babylonians. This may not mean much to you, so let me just again give you a tiny taste. We talk about the Babylonians. So for 1,500 years before this, a nation called Assyria had essentially run the whole world. And they were awful people. They were an awful system and an awful government. They were tyrannical in ways that would be pretty shocking to us even today. They were so hated that even though their power was consolidated for, for 1,500, remember the United States has only been a nation for a little over 200 years. For 1,500 years, the Assyrians ran the whole world. The capital of Assyria was Nineveh, by the way, which is where Jonah was sent to warn them and why Jonah didn't want to go warn them because he, he hated them like everybody else did. And so, so this is the Assyrians. Now what happens is, at some point, finally, two of the nations, and I'm summarizing this, but two of the nations that were the most powerful under the leadership of the Assyrians, Babylon and Egypt, rose up, put together a coalition, and finally overthrew the Assyrians. So here you have this great power that's been a power for a millennia and a half, and they finally get overthrown by the Babylonians, Egyptians, and their little coalition. And then, as if that wasn't good enough, then the Babylonians then systematically kind of take out every member of their coalition and on their way to Israel, stop and defeat the Egyptians for good measure. And at this point, by the time the Babylonians show up in Israel, the Israelis make a foolish decision. Jehoiakim makes a foolish decision, which is actually, God warned him against this. Jehoiakim decides to ally himself with the Egyptians well, then when the Babylonians went and conquered the Egyptians, and they, they said, you know what, we're now going to go take out your last friends, the Israelites. So they go up and they take them too. So this is now the Babylonians who have conquered the whole known world. They are unstoppable. There's no power to even touch them. And the way their law was, in, was created was that literally the word of the emperor was law. We're going to see about that. You, you read about that later, but we're going to see how that works. Literally, the word of the emperor became law. His, his voice was truth. He was God on earth. He was the dictator of things that were true and right. That was entirely his prerogative. And that's the one 
who sends Ashpenaz to grab a handful of Jewish kids and bring them back. That's who Daniel is going to run into, this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe, again, I think you could make the case, the most powerful man who ever lived in his own time. His, he had the power over life and death in ways we can't comprehend. The Babylonians were a world power <coughs> in ways that we can't fathom even as the United States. The level of dominance was, was, would transcend even us, but it would be similar in the gap between them and, say, second place. But, but now add to that instead not um, a system of law that, in which the leadership has to conform to the system of law, but now make it a leadership that they decide what the system of law is and can change it. So if you imagine, if you had someone in leadership who just said, you know what, this law, this is now my law, and it could be about him personally, it could be about somebody, it's, it, whatever they want. That's the system that Daniel is being dragged into here as a child. It help, may help us to understand, as we look at how this is played out that, that that whole idea was to was to create Daniel, uh, create in Daniel and these other Hebrew children, everyone they captured, a sense of utter dependence on Babylon. They lose everything about their lives. Their clothes are chosen for them. Their food is chosen for them. Their futures, their lives, their bodies are changed probably because of this. We'll talk about that. Even their names are changed. Everything is changed for them. And replaced with something that they are told is better to help them become dependent. So again, we'll look more and more detail about this. Owen faced and talked with us and helped us understand the crushing effects of poverty. But you heard from Owen that the greatest power of poverty is hopelessness. That's the greatest power that it has is to create a sense of hopelessness. There's, there's no one, there's no one who could do anything about this. There's no one who could help with this. And the question we're going to be asking ourselves as we engage with Daniel is, can this young man, over the next decades of his life, in a place where everybody's going to tell him, listen, we know what's best for you, we have what's best for you, you need to make different decisions, and every bit of pressure of opulence, and in a weird version of poverty at the same time, as things are stricken from him, stripped from him, and then replaced with something else, is he going to be able to stand firm in the midst of that? Uh, I loved the picture um, that Owen shared with us. That there was, a, there was a vision of the truth that Owen didn't even know about all those years in poverty, but some guy in Wisconsin knew about it. And in the end, his vision of reality, that we are treasure, that children are treasure, even that they're treasure in different parts of the world and they're treasure in different situations and in, in the... the the, the worst places in the world from a poverty perspective in Kenya, that is still a place where children are treasure to God. The neighbors didn't know it. Family may not have known it. No one else knew this about Owen, but this guy named Owen in Wisconsin knew that, I'll say Owen Jr., was treasure. And so he made a decision to invest in that, and it began to, that gospel began to change and affect everything um, this is the same kind of question that Daniel's going to be wrestling with. These Hebrew children facing overwhelming weight that worldly pagan opulence can bring to bear on us. Um, I, I hadn't thought about mentioning this, but um, uh, my daughter and son and some of the kids listen to uh, uh, these guys named Rhett and Link. And, uh, and uh, the, the Good Mythical Morning, anyway, podcast, anyway. 
And we've been listening to them for years. Great, seem to be great guys. And then the last few weeks, they've come out with their spiritual deconstruction, how they, though they were part of Campus Crusade, Campus Crusade, right? And now they're not Christian at all and, and they're saying things like, if I don't want to believe in a resurrection, why should I? Well, that's so since I don't want to, I'm not going to anymore. And, and you see the pressure that their fame and that their significance and that their financial success apparently brought to bear on them in a way that they weren't prepared for. It's heartbreaking to, to hear about those type of stories. There's no excuse for it, and Daniel's an example to show that for us. Will they, will they hold fast to Yahweh's identity for them? You know what? I'm going to take just a second. Uh, I want to show you a video just to kind of bring, it kind of, maybe it'll help for some people, especially more visual people, it will help you to see. Um, you can go ahead and start the, this video. It's going to show the sunrise. This is kind of a video like it's been brought to you by the Babylonian you know, visitation committee or whatever it is. And that's kind of how this comes across. Um, would this have been exactly what it looked like at the time of them? This was, some of this was still being built. Um, so as you, as you the sunrise, they, they're coming in this kind of way they presented this. Now this is 600 years before the birth of Christ, keep in mind. This is 100 years before the Greek culture, before Socrates and Aristotle and Plato. It's 100 years before that. And so this is what it would have looked like as they're brought into this city and, and the level of, of overwhelming opulence. Again, they were from royalty in Israel, but man, the, the most beautiful thing in Israel would have been the temple, which would have been lovely, but man, would have paled and compared to what this looked like at that time. So you've probably heard, uh, by the way, you've, you may have, there's the hanging gardens. You've probably heard of the hanging gardens of Babylon. Those were in place at this time. Um, you had um, the walls around Babylon, intriguingly, we'll talk about these more, but you may have heard incorrectly at some point during sermons that, that you know, they could race chariots around the walls of Jericho on the top of the walls of Jericho. That's not true. Um, however, that was true of Babylon that they would sometimes race chariots and segments of the, on the tops of the walls around Babylon. It was so massive, um, and the walls were so thick. There stood in the middle of Babylon um, the temple to their great God. We'll talk about that. And uh, most people think that this is probably where the concept of the Tower of Babel, um, either it created this concept or vice versa. Giant river ran right through the middle of the city to provide water for them nonstop the Euphrates River. So again, it was a massive metropolis. It would have been, it would be impressive now, even though it's, it would have been 2,500 years old. Okay, so having this in mind that these boys from little Israel get brought to this place, you can, you can cut it. It's impressive and it's crazy. They have better everything and that's what they're going to say. We have better food. We have better culture. We have better gods. We have better names. We have better all this stuff for you. And, it, and, if, and that's what these boys are going to run into. Many, many years later, when, people, when the people of Israel are given the opportunity to go home, many don't because it's too, it's too good a place to live. The culture that we have now does not, we may not have financial poverty. In fact, we almost don't even know what that word means in our culture like what Owen would teach us. But we do live in a moral poverty and a truth poverty and a purpose poverty, a directional poverty. 
And that connects us very much so to Daniel. That Daniel is a stranger in a strange land. He's in a place that isn't his home. And they've got all these things to offer to fill in every little gap, every question, everything. There's some distraction for everything. And that's where Daniel is, and that's what he's going to be dealing with. And we're going to come back to that from a cultural perspective starting next week. But I want to jump all the way. I want to go ahead and jump over to the conversation about uh, the application for us. One of the things this morning was to recognize that though Daniel is put in this place, he's not restricted from ministering. In fact, the other way around. How come it is that you're going to have Daniel deal with the most powerful people who, some of the most powerful people who ever lived, as a part of the most powerful government that's ever existed, as the head of the, one of the most powerful nations that ever existed, and yet time after time after time, Daniel's going to seem to be the one with all the power. And it's because in the midst of this, what you're going to have is Yahweh engaging with Daniel in the midst of the situation, and Daniel submitted to a higher power than even all of this power brought to bear on him. But again, we need to go back to and connect to what's it like to remind ourselves, what's it like to live in a culture that's constantly going to say like, no, no, look over here. No, how about this over here? Hey, we got something for you here. Hey, you don't need to waste your time with that. What about this? And what about that? And, and we've got answers and we've got questions and we've got whatever. And we're going to, that's, that's the nature of the land that he's going to live in. And he's a child. And Daniel's going to strip away a lot of our excuses as we figure out what it's like to live in a culture that may not be our friends anymore. As we, as we think about the concept of the dreams taken, and the, the, is that an excuse for us, the fact that we didn't get to have the life we wanted? You can do this with every character in the Bible. The, do you think Mary's wedding plans involved her being pregnant? I'll bet not. Do you think David's kingship plans involved his own son rising up in rebellion against him? I doubt it. Do you think... Do you think Peter's dreams for his fishing business included him walking away from his nets for, and, and apparently never really going back to them, and not until after he's crucified as well? I mean, what a, what a crazy concept. Daniel is essentially an ambassador by force. He's a stranger to a strange land, not his home. And again, by the way, you want to hear something really sad is that he lived there for many decades. And as far as we know, Daniel never returned to his home. He lived out his entire life there. The question isn't, are we ambassadors in a strange land? The question is, what kind of ambassadors are we going to be? Daniel's going to handle with grace and valor, nobility, and power. I know we only looked at that one scripture day, and usually it's really, our talks are really saturated with scripture, but I want to work to this. For us to be thinking about how do we minister now, and I want to give you this opportunity. Um, the reason that I really want to encourage you, one, it is, there's, a, uh, there's a powerful aspect to this. That, that, is, that, uh, that struck me. Can you just throw the picture of Eco up there? This is Eco Septician. So when I was 19, I went to a, to a um, Rich Mullins concert and uh, took on my first compassion child, Eco. Um, he was three at the time. And uh, then he grew up. And over the year, I found this picture of him when I was cleaning out our attic the other day. And, uh, and over the years, as, as Eco grew, and Eco, long ago, Eco graduated out of the compassion system. I mean, Eco's Equals, uh, you know, not a young man anymore, wherever he is. And, uh, and now we have a couple of others, and Ellie has one. And, and, um, and so I, I really want to encourage you. Owen said, talked about his three compassion kids who he's sponsoring. Um, I wanted to, it's kind of funny, I grabbed this a little bit randomly. Anybody's, Febu anybody's birthday, February 17th? If it is, happy birthday. It was just your birthday the other day. Any February 17th? This happened in the first service. What are the chances of that? Nobody? Somebody's close. We had, we had one day off. 
I was going to ask about the name, but uh, is anybody's name Zolmead? <laughs> that was a, probably not. Um, but Zolmead is a kid who needs to be taken in, needs to be sponsored. And someone sent her a letter that says, I love you. And, and again, the reason I talk about this is because you know how me, I love epic things. So when I was at the Rich Mullins concert and found out that 40,000 children a day died of starvation and malnutrition, that was when I was 19. The world population was about 5 billion then. It's now 7.5 billion. And yet the number of kids who die of starvation and malnutrition every day has dropped to below 10,000. Why? Compassion is one of the main reasons. Compassion, world vision. We know perfectly well that government systems are not going to be successful at this. They never have been and they're not going to suddenly start being. But when the church steps in, Compassion now has almost 2 million children in their sponsorship system. What? You want to be a part of something epic? This is an example. We, we are within, it's about 8,000 kids now. We are within about 8,000 kids of having kids not starve. And this is what a great expression for us to be able to engage in this conversation for us as believers. Um, two years ago, the guy mentioned, that with the, the, when John was here, he, the, another John, he mentioned, um, you know, like for the price of a, a cup of coffee from Starbucks, you, you can take on a kid. And I was like, what does he get from Starbucks? $38 a month? That's like five days at Starbucks. <laughs> and if you cut Starbucks, you could have four compassion kids. In the first service, I was like, listen, go get your, you know, you can, yeah, make your coffee at home or, or, or go to Witch Witch or Corner Bakery. It's, it's like half price. They use the saving and, and like do the rest of it like, that's just because I'm not a big fan of Starbucks, though. So the, and the coffee's better, too. But, sorry, my issue. So the, um, the, to say, like, this is a great opportunity for us to engage in a way that actually makes a difference. It actually does almost immediately to be able to do that. And you've gotten to hear about it today from Owen in ways I could never tell you. So um, I'm going to ask Owen to come up here in a second. And, and for our time of invitation... I'm going to ask him to pray over us, that our church would be a generous church, that that would continue to define us, as it has. By the way, I'm super proud of this church. Um, I love showing off uh, the generosity of this church. And so that that would be the case, that you would say, if you've, not, if you've not started that or this is not a ministry you have yet, this is an easy one to be a part of. And it only gets easier. Now they've got an app. Like, you don't even have to do this thing anymore. Um, writing, that's what that was called. You can just, you can just type a, no one writes anymore. The, um, you can type the letter back to them and they send it to you. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a great thing and a great ministry. And, and if you're terrible at stuff like that, like I am, staying on top of that kind of stuff, it's okay. They'll, you still are blessing a kid in powerful ways. So I really want to encourage our church in a second. So as part of our invitation, um, when Owen is done praying, we will go into our time of invitation. If you um, are already, if you're someone who's talked to our Welcome Home team and is ready to come join, you can do that during that invitation time. If you need someone to pray with you for anything at all, we would love to pray with you up here. Um, if hearing about a God who rescues people from whatever form of poverty you face, whatever it is, because there's lots of forms, um, we would love to pray with you about that. Um, also, if you know, if you're saying, listen, I need to go find a Compassion Kid to sponsor, um, there's, there's a, a table out in the foyer and there's two tables up here. Um, you can do that during the invitation. Don't wait. You can go ahead and go do that. I know that's going to be a little mass chaos. That's okay. When Paul gets up here and closes out our time, he'll get on mic and you'll be able to hear him. But I really want to encourage you to do this. Um, help your kid grow up along. You sometimes can find a kid at the exact same birthday 
These are all, um, the kids we're sponsoring are all from uh, a similar area so that it make it easiest if we ever want to go visit them to do that, um, which would be great in Guatemala. Um, if, if you would prefer to have a kid who's exactly um, on your birth date or something like that, you can get on the website, the Compassion website right now and sign up for that too, right now. So what, or whatever that is that your desire would be with that. There's probably a kid there. So again, I'm going to ask you to pray for our church, to pray for our Compassion kids. And one of my favorite things about having a compassion child all those years, I'm terrible at praying for, my, for myself. I'm terrible at disciplining prayer every day sometimes. Anyway, Eco said in every letter, um, he said that he would say, I pray for you every day, Papa Chris. And so there I was having someone with prayer, offering prayer for me. It'll be fun to get to heaven to find out what opportunities came my way and what dangers I avoided because Eco was praying for me every day. And his angels were before the Father all the time. So I, I, would, I would encourage you, be a part of a mini this ministry or one just like it. So I hope you'll sign up with that. I told you I'd be unapologetic about it. Please do that. So, um, Eco, I mean, Eco, <laughs> sorry. Owen, would you pray for us? That, was, that would be, uh, that'd be awesome for us. Thank you, sir. Amen. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to try and, play and, and pray in three languages, uh, English, Swahili, and Kikuyu, which I speak. And... Uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm saying this on behalf of all the kids is, uh, for me, being sponsored through Compassion was so important. And because of all the things I got, and, and I made sure that before every night before I went to bed, I prayed for my sponsor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God. We just want to give you praise and give you honor, God, for who you are. You are such a good God. Oh, you are such a good God, Lord. You are a good, good Father. Thank you for loving us so abundantly. Thank you for who you are, God, and thank you for what you have done and you continue to do in our lives, God. Thank you that your love is relentless, oh God. Thank you because you love us in spite of us, oh God. You are such a good God, Lord, and I just, just want to worship you, God. I just want to give you praise, oh Lord, and I, I pray today, God, that, that Whoever came in looking for answers, oh God, you will give them answers today. Whoever came in looking for healing, Jehovah God, you will extend your hand and you will heal them in Jesus' name, oh God. Lord, I pray that, that we shall not walk out of those doors the same way we walked in, oh God. That we shall meet your presence, oh God. We shall meet you at our time of need, oh God. Baba, tunakuja mbelezako, tunakuabudu kwa mana, wewe ni mungu, wewe ni mungu wa ajabu. Wewe ni mungu uishie, baba. Wewe ni afa na omega. Wewe ndiyo mwanza na ndiyo mwisho. Wewe ndiyo jana leo na milele. Tunakuabudu, wewe ni mungu wa majabu. Asante kwa kutupenda. Asante kwa vile unavyo tupenda. Unatupenda. Hata sisi tunapo kukimbilia mbali na wewe, baba. Unatupenda. Tunashukuru, tunakuabudu, baba. Mwadha nini tuoka beresi ya kuumothe. Tuwa kukosa vava na tuwa hoya. Tuwa iga nithegio ni odo wa kutorazima. Tuwa iga nithegio ni odo wa... Ni otuwa dete makeria maa olea... Tuko soka geria wedo olea to hea ka vava. Na tuwa hoya vava da hoya kanithoyo wedere kumarazima. Wedere... Razima kirea geo the meka gavava. Razima wira wamo komao. Razima kirea geo the meka gavava. Na wedere kumoneka nira. Tudu wewe gai yutahota go. Wewe gai. Wewe magegani ya vava. Tuahoya maya mothe. 
We pray all this, believing and trusting in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen.